evening. Good evening, and welcome to uh, this Ash Wednesday service on uh, Wednesday evening here at Pleasant Street. Welcome to those of you joining us um, from Fairlawn, uh, from Pleasant Street as well, from other congregations. Uh, for those of you joining us online as well, um, it's the start of the season of Lent. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here at Pleasant Street. And on behalf of all of our combined congregations, welcome this evening. Glad that you could be with us. We start the 40 days journey of Lent uh, with a reminder uh, that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. It's a strange way to start a season of celebration, which is what Lent is. And it seems especially strange given the news and all the things that uh, we have seen in the past couple of weeks and months and years in our country and around the world. But tonight, we are not here to just contemplate something morbid for the sake of it, because somehow it's good for us. We, we focus tonight on the reminder of being dust and of uh, death in particular, because in God's strange mercy and providence, it is in exactly the places that seem full of despair and hopelessness that God reveals himself to be most present. And in particular, he uses one death in particular to not only transform us, but to open to us the path of eternal life itself. And so, my friends, this evening, uh, we are glad to be on this journey together. Uh, we're going to say some words from Scripture together. We're going to sing, and we'll have an opportunity in a little while to be marked with a reminder of ashes a reminder that God from the dust breathed life into us once and that the same God uh, can breathe life into us again, even tonight, by his spirit. And so, my friends, would you join me in this call to worship? Please rise in body or in spirit. Congregation, the Lord be with you. Once the Lord said... I have had more than enough burnt offerings, and I have had enough of empty assemblies. Tonight, God calls us away from church charades. Friends, tonight, God reminds us of why we are here. Not to show that we are good people, but to become Christ's people. Oh God, have mercy on us, we pray. Wipe away every failing and make us new in your sight. Let's sing together. Streams of grace flow deep and 
Would you pray with me? Merciful God, we come to you this evening realizing that we are not how you want us to be. Help us to let go of our past, that we may turn toward you and live again the life of faith. Draw us from our fear, hatred, anger, and self-pity. Draw us toward your son's cross that we might see our burdens and guilt upon him and so find healing. In this season of penitence, help us to become simple people who see you plainly, love you deeply, and follow you joyfully. Amen. Friends, you can be seated. I mentioned at the start that the season of Lent begins with a reminder of death. And uh, I think it was Flannery O'Connor who mentioned in the end of one of her most famous short stories that uh, one of the characters would have been a good woman if there was someone always there to threaten her life. Uh, and it is true, as, as in that story, and we know in other places, that there is something about death that sobers you, that tends to make one focus on what is actually important in life. But tonight, we are not here just to contemplate that in general, and so get better priorities in life. At the beginning of Lent, we connect to death in one particular way, which is that death is the result of sin. Death is a consequence, along with suffering and disease and pain. And tonight, we are here to make that connection, to remember that this is punishment, so that in the presence of God, we can remember what he has done to set us free and to heal us. And there's no better place to look at that than Psalm 103. And so, friends, hear these words from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of the field, 
The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Friends, tonight we hope to find the same thing that the psalmist who first wrote those words did too. And so would you join me in this prayer of confession? Lord God, it is hard to think that we will die someday. We dream, make plans, and talk about what we'll do in the near future. We don't consider your plans or what you want. But we are only here because you take care of us. We confess that we forget this and that we don't know what is best for our lives. Holy God, we are sorry for our sin. Teach us to love what you love, that we might do what you want us to do. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Friends, hear these words of good news for you. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Friends, May God the Father, who does not despise a broken spirit, give us contrite hearts. May Christ, who bore our sins in his body on the tree, heal us by his wounds. And may the Holy Spirit, who leads us into all truth, speak words of pardon and peace. Amen. Friends, would you rise in body and spirit? Let's sing.
Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to be here as fellow congregations joined in this town and uh, have the chance to fellowship tonight around God's Word and around this reminder in this celebration, yes, but also a, a celebration that begins with, as Pastor Matthew was saying earlier, a reminder of our own mortality, our need for a Savior to rescue us from the things that we can't rescue ourselves from. Scripture lesson tonight is from Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to be beginning a reading at verse 10, but uh, I want to read the verse that comes before it because it helps us understand kind of what he's saying in this as well. In verse 9, Isaiah says, Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. And then he says this, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I've had more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. 
When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this evening. Well, friends of Jesus, they say that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I think Isaiah missed that memo. Whether or not this is the first public sermon he delivered, or it's merely the way that his messages were eventually pulled together in a book, I don't think that this is how most of us would have gotten things started. Common wisdom says that you don't lead with a message that's heavy on the human heart, something that's somber and and makes people feel guilty and, and kind of unpleasant about themselves. I mean, maybe some will grant those themes still have a place in the presentation of the Christian message today, although there are people who say that human sin is just too depressing to talk about with people for modern years. But certainly, you don't lead with human sin. You don't make it the first word. You don't begin with human shortcomings. You don't talk about God's disappointment with us as the first order of business. If you want people to embrace the gospel, you have to tell them about God's love, people will say today. You have to show that love in word and deed. You have to have a positive message. None of this breed of evildoers stuff. And so I find it really interesting that that's exactly where Isaiah begins his book. In fact, it's where many of the Old Testament prophets begin. Think about Elijah or Jeremiah or Micah or Nahum or Amos or Zephaniah. The first word is a word of warning, a word about our own human nature, our own frailty, our own mortality, our own inability to get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. For that matter, I think it's where Jesus begins his message, a message of repentance, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Even a quick glance at the Bible's teaching reminds us that you can't have the gospel without a message, a word of repentance and conversion. And so tonight, as we begin this season, that's a celebration of the central events of our salvation story, we begin with a sobering reality. We are sinners who need the grace of God. We need to understand the seriousness of our sin in order to discover the wonder of what happens on Easter Sunday when the burden is lifted and death is defeated forever. So as we pause tonight to remember how our sin led Jesus to the cross, we need to recognize, first of all, that God doesn't really care about appearances. If you're like me, you like to be somebody who looks like they have it all put together, right? You know, you, I, I'm a like to prepare things, you know, make sure that I've got all the things thought through before they, they happen and I've got it all charted out and marked down on pieces of paper and bullet points and that sort of thing. But God doesn't care how put together we think we look. 
the first full-scale prophecy of Isaiah's book, his first hear the word of the Lord message that begins in verse 10, begins with this scathing attack on the rituals of public worship. Sacrifices, offerings, appearances of the temple, the burning of incense, religious festivals, public prayers. God says, I've had enough of it all. It's even a burden to me, he says. One author puts it this way. He says, Isaiah views the worship of Judah as nothing else than a smokescreen for evil. The rich and comfortable parade into the temple of Solomon, participate in worship of such grandeur and majesty as to be the envy of the world. Their clothes are fine. Their harps, well-tuned. Their priests are well-schooled, their choirs well-toned, their pewmates only those who belong, who are one of them, not those riffraff who live in the undesirable quarters of Jerusalem. The people of Judah in Isaiah's day were pretty prosperous, successful, and they were smart enough to know that it was God who had blessed them. I hear that today, and it's hard not to feel a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, after all, the fact that we're here tonight says something about our commitment to the rituals of public worship. We're from communities that want to be seen as taking our faith seriously. Studying our Bibles, saying our prayers, bringing our tithes. We serve on church committees, commit to all the key moral teachings. We're people who have been prospered in many ways by God. Like the Israelites of Isaiah's day, it's easy to hear the judgment of the prophet and say, but wait a second, isn't this exactly what God asked us to do? And in fact, that's true, right? You go through verses 10 through 14 and you see that every single thing on that list is something that God told the Israelites that they should do. And yet God tells his people it doesn't really add up to anything because it's nothing more for them than an empty show. And the outward show is not what God is really after. Lent, of all seasons of the year, I think walks this fine line. It's a season when many of us are thinking in particular ways. Maybe we even give up things to remind us of the story of our salvation. It's got extra times of worship. Ashes are a kind of demonstration even, aren't they, to ourselves, maybe to those around us that we're trying to take this seriously. But if all we're doing in Lent is coming to appear before God, to be seen, as Matthew Henry puts it in his commentary, then we're not really seeing what God is after. Because our Lord is not very interested in appearances. He's not interested in only what things look like from the outside. But see, if God isn't interested in the trappings of religion, the outward trappings of religion, what is he after? Well, Isaiah tells us what God does care about. In the second half of the text that we read tonight, he says what God is really after is changed hearts. The alignment with our, of our souls with the profession of our mouths. I was thinking about this this week. Before I went to seminary, some of you know this, I worked in a plumbing supply store. It was my job all through high school and college, and then I worked there full-time for a few years afterwards. And many of our customers were contractors who were there almost every day. And so when you see somebody almost every day for 10 years, you get a little bit of a sense for who they are. And among our customers, there were some that professed faith in Jesus and, and even would find themselves in church quite regularly. But I'd start to hear things about the way that they did business. And there was something deeply, deeply disappointing when I'd find that somebody who, from an outward profession standpoint, had all the right teachings and all the right rituals 
but who was somebody I would never want to do business with. The outward appearance can be a mask for a heart that's rotten from the inside, and that's what Isaiah and what God are warning about here in this text. And so the prophet continues, here's what you need to do. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Isaiah and and the other prophets as well harp on this point that something in us always needs to change even when we think that we're pious people. And I think this is where the, it's really hard to start listening because we, we start reading this and we think of myself, I, I think of myself, I'm a pretty good person. Do I really need to pay attention to this stuff? I mean, I, I look at my hands, I don't see any blood on my hands. I'm certainly not actively supporting injustice. We're going down the list, right? I haven't taken any widows or orphans to court lately. I don't think I ever did that for that matter. There's nothing in my life, I think, that would lead somebody to instantly go, oh, Joel Vandework and Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, those two things go together. And so it's easy to look at this passage and to say, well, you know what, that's for other people, and I don't then need to really worry about it. Isaiah's first word, Lent's first word, repent, just doesn't seem to have to be for me most of the time. But what we see in Scripture is that Repentance is not just for really heinous crimes, the things that make the headlines and land you in jail. Jeremy Pierre, biblical counselor, offers some glimpses into the dynamic of the heart when he asks, why might a lone hipster drinking fair trade coffee feel mild disgust as he watches a middle-aged mom load groceries and children into a minivan? Why does a teenager look down at an incoming phone call from her mom and instantly feel annoyed. We've all had these kinds of reactions to different things, maybe not those exact scenarios. But he goes on then to answer his own questions. He says, well, the hipster dismissing the overburdened mom may be operating out of a value system that pits children against the finer things of life or what what in his mind are the finer things of life. The teenager annoyed with mom's phone call is showing what she believes about her mom as well as what she wants from her. And sometimes we don't even realize this. We're caught up in these systems and we can't get out. This came home to me a couple years ago. We were camping along Lake Michigan, um, State Park in Michigan, with the family. And we had been on the beach and walked a little bit down from the swimming area on the beach to where the sand dunes came right up against the, 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 the waves and saw there that it was a pile of styrofoam bits and other pieces of garbage. I'm sure you can see the same kind of thing if you go to the Cape or probably even elsewhere here right along riverbanks or so on, roadsides. And the first part of me wanted to look at all that styrofoam and trash and be angry at the people who weren't careful enough with their cups and coolers along as they swam on the beach. But then I realized that I'm part of that same system. I'm part of a system that can't escape using styrofoam and packaged food. And in some ways, I'm even thankful for those advances because of what they let us do as a society. We have these things that can deliver tremendous good, but also can be a bane for the world that we live in. And we're stuck in the middle with both. We can't get out. One of my colleagues, Doug Bratt, pastor down in the CRC in Maryland, writes... Christians sometimes act as if our religion is little more than another self-help plan. 
He says, we sometimes act as though all we need to do to be better people is just try harder, to use the prophet's imagery. We can almost act as if we can scrub ourselves clean and our actions, including our worship. And I ran across a message just this past week that said exactly that. We just need to do a little laundry, apply a little bit of spot remover, and the sin goes away. The good that lies underneath us will show clearly again. Just learn to do better and everything will be better, this message said. And certainly there's an element of learning and teaching in this text. Learn to do right, God says to his people in verse 17. But at its core, what Isaiah is saying here is not simply a call to do a little bit better. As if all we needed in order to live right with God was just to stuff the right information in our minds. Try a little bit harder and find ourselves on the other side of God's anger against sin. Now, God says it goes deeper than that. Sin kills us. Sin destroys us. Sin ruins us. Unless, unless God steps in, unless he preserves us. Guilt just can't be washed away with water or set aside by doing better next time. Heart change has to go all the way down to the core of who we are. And that's the message of Lent. It's the message of the gospel. I admit, that's not a message I always like to hear, this whole idea of repentance. I want to be right. I want to do better. But God's Spirit has Isaiah speak this first word to us, this word of repentance, to help us understand what grace really is. Our guilt, he reminds us, is not covered by our public rituals. It's not covered by our good intentions. It has to be covered by a life of conversation and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God invites us to reason together, not because he thinks that maybe if we just put our heads together with him, we'll come up with the answers to human sin and the problems of the world. No, because addressing our sin, your sin and mine, involves me and you having to sit with God and sit with his word, sit with his spirit, and hear what God is really doing in us and in our communities. It's a matter of ongoing conversation with him, reasoning, looking, taking a step back, trying to understand what are you doing, God, so that we begin to see the big picture of his grace. That's what the Lenten season invites us to. It highlights the reality that our human condition was so far from God that the only remedy was the sacrifice of his own son. God doesn't say to us, you can make your sins as white as snow. But he does invite us to the wonder and the surprise that in relationship with him through Jesus Christ, we wake up one day to find out that the stains have been removed and we are once again pure and holy in his sight. That's exactly what God has done for us on the cross. We bring our sin to him in repentance and we walk away white as snow. You know, in a world of self-assured confidence in our own goodness, repentance seems like the last thing that we would want to lead with, the last first word that we'd pick. To be reminded of our shortcomings, be told that I'm a mess, I can't possibly fix myself, dwell on the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not the impression we want to leave. But God would have it be exactly the impression that he wants to make on us 
Because repentance is a word I need to hear. It's the only thing that will lead me to listen to the hope of forgiveness spoken by our Savior. And so it's a word that makes all those other words, the words of forgiveness and healing and restoration and new life, all the more rich and full. Let's pray. Holy God, help us to hear your voice this evening. I confess, Lord, that repentance is not something that comes easily. I don't think it comes easily to most of us. And yet we pray that you would confront us with our sin, both the sins that we do individually and the sins that we participate in collectively. And confront us with that so that we might seek a Savior. Give us repentant hearts that we can look to the cross and to the tomb and understand our own mortality but ultimately that we may see beyond the cross and beyond the tomb to your new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to sing in response how deep the Father's love for us, and I invite you to stand in body or spirit as we do. I will not 
We now have an opportunity together as a church to not just hear these words, but to be marked by them. And so we'd invite you, for those of you in the room, especially if you're home and you happen to have your own ashes, you're welcome to join us as well. But tonight, we'd invite you to come up, and Joel and I are going to be stationed up here. Uh, And if you would like either to be marked on your hand or on your forehead with the sign of the cross and ash, Uh, You're welcome to do that now. The band's going to continue to play for us underneath while we do that. Uh, We'd like, if you would, to please, in an orderly fashion, file toward the middle. We'll have two stations here. Um, Make your way forward, if you'd like, and then around to the back to your seats. We'll have a chance to sing some more and close in prayer together. Friends, we begin the journey of the Easter with this sign of ashes. This ancient sign speaks to the frailty and the uncertainty of human life. It calls us to heartfelt repentance, and it urges us to place our hope in God alone. In another year when the world is heavy with fear and grief, these ashes actually offer us an opportunity to hope, to hope that God's promises of cleansing, anointing, and rebirth are for us this Lent. So receive these ashes in person or virtually. May the sign of the cross remind you of the gift of salvation which drives out the darkness and has given us the promise of glorious light. Friends, let's do that together now.
Brothers and sisters, I invite you, therefore, in the name of Christ, to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and penitence, by prayer and fasting, by works of love, and by the reading and meditating on the Word of God. Amen. Would you close with me in this prayer? Loving God, you create us from the dust of the earth. So may these ashes be for us a sign of our sin and mortality. You fill us with breath made in your image. May this oil be for us a sign that you despise nothing you have made and you call us beloved. You give us yourself for our salvation. May the sign of the cross be for us a sign that by your sacrifice we are forgiven and assured of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go in peace and in the covenants of the pardon and peace won for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's go singing. Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures.
Peace.